Merry Christmas, Journey Church. <laughs> so glad that you're here. Welcome to Journey, where people matter most. Uh, my name's Brian. I'm not the guy that's usually up here uh, giving a message. Uh, I'm the youth and family minister here. But uh, if you're new today, I uh, want to say thank you uh, for joining us today. Glad that you're part of our church family this morning. Uh, shout out to those of you watching online. Uh, I believe Bobby's up. He was texting me this morning, and it's like early for them there. <laughs> it's like 6 or 7 a.m. when he was texting me there. So, And he's probably got a cup of coffee in hand. He's probably watching online. So uh, shout out to you guys, Bobby and Connie, watching this morning. And uh, thanks for uh, giving me the reins for a little bit for the past two weekends to give a message. Uh, just a reminder, uh, and it's been warm enough, uh, we've got free ice cream after church today. <laughs> Say ice cream. Now, we didn't give it uh, to the kids this morning. Uh, I don't want to be the guy that, you know, gets blamed for all of the sugar. We had enough sugar on the coffee bar this morning. But uh, we've got bowls and stuff ready, and we've got to-go cups, too. So if you want to stick around and uh, eat some ice cream with us and just kind of celebrate uh, Christmas with us, that'd be fine. And if not, if you got somewhere to be, uh, totally fine. Grab a to-go cup and go uh, wherever you're going to celebrate Christmas today. It's finally here. Christmas weekend uh, once again, and I'm honored to be able to bring this message to you here in person, uh, those of you watching online today, and we've been in a two-part mini-series called Unexpected Christmas, and if you weren't here last weekend, uh, we left last weekend with this idea that everything really does happen for a reason, and it might not be stuff that we understand, uh, but there is an author writing our story. God is writing our story, and he really is trying to make sure that everything is in the right spot, even things that we can't understand, things that we really don't want on our tree of life, like we talked about last weekend. And we looked at the angel, Gabriel, coming to tell Mary that she is going to have a son. She shall name him Jesus, and his kingdom will never end. He'll grow up to be the son of God. And we left with that thought last weekend, that God has a plan for all of us. And sometimes the randomness of life really isn't by coincidence, but it's by God's plan. And it allows us to draw closer to him. And sometimes we find that purpose and that meaning of life quickly, and sometimes it may take years to find that purpose. But at Christmas, we are reminded that life is not as random as it seems and that there is a story taking place. And the first Christmas really changed everything because Jesus changes everything. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to look further into the Christmas story, and it's a little bit different. Uh, I kind of spoiled last week a little bit that it's not your typical Christmas message. And uh, if you've been to church, if, you've, if you only come Easter and Christmas like some of the people in America do, you may think that we're going into Luke 2 or going into Matthew 2, and we're looking at the Christmas story there. Uh, that's not where I'm taking you today. Uh, we're taking you a little bit of a different route. But before we get into that, uh, we're going to dig into Micah chapter 5. And if you read the Christmas story in the New Testament, it starts with this prophecy, and it actually comes from Micah. And Matthew doesn't quote the whole thing, but we're going to look at this prophecy about Christmas. And I'm going to do something a little traditional here. Um, if you are able to stand, I'll, I will invite you to please stand as we read this opening uh, message from Matthew, uh, Micah 5. Please stand. Micah 5, verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler from Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. 
You may be seated. Today's message is called the family tree, and we're not talking about a Christmas tree. Uh, we're actually talking about family lineage. And before we get started, just show of hands, um, who has ever dug into their family tree? Like maybe photos, old, a lot of people do this at Christmas time to look back at old photos. Anyone ever done like Ancestry.com or anything like that? It's a pretty cool tool. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my family tree. I come from a big family on both sides of my parents. Uh, my mother's maiden name is Straub, and you may have heard that name for good or bad reasons. And the Straubs seems like they're connected to everybody in Harrison County, and my mother was one of seven children. Uh, two of my uncles have passed on, and I'm still fortunate to have multiple aunts and uncles and cousins and all of that. And my dad's side, also quite large, uh, bigger actually. Uh, in case you didn't know, my last name is Martinez. I'm half Hispanic, believe it or not, white as a ghost, but I'm half Hispanic. And there's a lot of Martinez's in the world. We're all connected somehow, I'm sure of it. Uh, my dad is one of 13 children. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> Imagine buying for that at Christmas time. <laughs> my dad's one of, one of 13, uh, 12 living. There was, uh, there was a sibling that died shortly uh, after birth when they were young. Uh, but lots of aunts and uncles, most of them live here in the U.S. as far as my uncles. All of my aunts still reside in central Mexico. And uh, I was very fortunate enough to experience both sides of Mexican and American culture. Uh, fortunate enough to meet both sets of my grandmothers. And a little bit about them. Both of my grandmothers were God-fearing women. Uh, they knew how to cook, just like most grandparents do. Uh, many of you knew Mary Lou Straub, uh, which is my mother's mother. And uh, she passed away in 2016, and uh, she was here with us at Journey for a really long time, really since we began. Now let me tell you a little bit about Memo Straub, as I knew her. Uh, she knew how to get, make a good biscuit. And when I get to heaven, I'm running straight for her door in heaven and going to get that biscuit. Amen? Now, my abuela, Luce, uh, she passed away a couple years ago. Uh, she knew how to make some good sweet bread and anything else that you can think of as far as a Mexican cuisine. Uh, and my maternal grandfather, Henry Straub, I did not get to meet because he passed away before I was born. But I had a paternal grandfather, uh, Adrian, my abuelo. And uh, he was a jokester. He was a prankster. He actually passed away uh, last year and uh, always trying to make people laugh. And I want to, I'll share this with you too. One of my greatest accomplishments in life, like most people, um, is graduating college. The first in my family to do it, I was, it was a very proud day for me. Uh, it made it more meaningful knowing that my parents from Mexico, or my grandparents from Mexico flew in and watched me walk across the stage. It was a really meaningful moment for me, probably the greatest accomplishment in my academic life, because I didn't do anything else great academically, I can tell you that. Now, I've only heard stories of Peppa Henry, and uh, the few that I've heard is he was a hard worker. Uh, he grew up on the farm, and he was a very dangerous card player, specifically Euchre. Now, some of you play Euchre in here, and uh, I don't know if you'll agree or not or say amen or not, but his pro tip in Euchre was to never turn down a jack. That was his pro tip. You always took it up. And I could go on and on about my family tree, and I'm sure that if you were up here and you wanted to share some of your story, that you could do the same thing. But when we look at Jesus' family tree, the Christmas family tree, 
We usually think of Mary, who was a virgin, and we, we see that she gave birth to a son named Jesus, and there was a stepfather named Joseph, and we know that the shepherds saw the angels, the wise men followed the star, and we know that story. And we assume that Mary and Joseph had a good-looking family tree. But the truth that we need to recognize this morning is that Christmas actually looks better from a distance. Say distance. I don't think there was anyone at the first Christmas that thought that the birth of Christ was charming. We'll say it that way. And people can do the math. She's pregnant, but I'm not the father, like an episode of Maury or Jerry Springer. And the wise men are running for their life from Herod as he's going on a baby killing spree, killing every baby two years and younger because of this new king that had come. And there was an angel that came to Joseph, and he wants him to flee to Egypt because of all of this killing spree through Herod. And there are stories of questioning. There are stories of danger and escape. And I'm sure that all of these experiences, they stayed with Jesus and they stayed with Mary and Joseph all throughout their life. And so when we come to the story in Luke 2 that we know so well, and we look at Matthew 2 as well, we assume that's the story. We assume that this is what it is. But the Christmas story actually begins in Matthew chapter 1. Has anyone ever tried to read the Bible in a whole year before? Show of hands. Anyone ever tried it? Did anyone actually complete it? Okay, so some of you. Uh, When you get to Matthew, just heads up, it's very boring. A lot of names that you can't pronounce. A lot of names that seem like they're insignificant. And uh, it starts like, this is a record of ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. And they go on through these names, and it's his family tree. Now, it's not to tell us just names. It's not to tell us just a genealogy. It's to tell us a story of there were real people that had real stories, and each person was part of God's plan leading up to this moment that Jesus would be born. And it was generation after generation, each as a testament to God's faithfulness. So I want to make that clear before we jump in here. And each name in this genealogy is important and it's vital, but... To save you some time, I'm not going to read through all of it because it is a lot. But we're going to skip down to Matthew 1, 17. Verse 17 says, All of those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. So that's 42 total generations, and it's a list in succession, and there was a reason we skipped all those names, because like I said, it's, it's a lot of names. And so this is Jesus' family tree. This is his bloodline. It's generation after generation. Now, some might say, why do we need to know that? Well, in Jewish culture, genealogies were actually a really big deal. These accounts of ancestry, where people came from, are reminders of family heritage and how far they'd come, but it was also a reminder of how far that God had taken them uh, throughout the point of history, generation after generation. So bloodline was key. And you can think of it kind of like a resume or a portfolio, and it could actually open doors for you. It could lead to a good job. It could cause a right conversation to take place, and your ancestry could actually qualify you or disqualify you from doing certain things. And so in the case of Jesus, the Messiah, he was said to come and be ruler over everybody. He was said to cure disease and everything. 
And it's like a video game where the main character is trying to save the princess, like Mario and Peach kind of deal. Jesus saves the world. And as a result, there's no more glitches like in a video game. There's no more sin. There's no more cancer. There's no more crime. There's no more disease. No more death. And scripture tells us the former things have passed away. And that's what the Messiah coming is about. And so if you look back in scripture, there's about 700 prophecies in the Old Testament that had to be true in order for Jesus to claim that he was the Messiah. Christ had to be from Bethlehem, like, like what we just read in Micah 5. He had to come from the family line of David. And if he wasn't, the Jewish would consider him to be a false prophecy. And so the genealogy here is key. But there's also another thing that's pretty interesting. Matthew doesn't go back to David. He goes back to Abraham. And Luke 3 also mentions the family tree going all the way back to Adam, the first man. And so if you connect the dots and we look at the prophecies, if the Messiah only had to be proven to be from the line of David, then why does Matthew and Luke go a couple of steps farther and include Abraham and Adam? Well, just like most family trees, Jesus' family tree was a little twisted. The branches in his tree were a little twisted. And God doesn't hide it. In fact, he kind of flaunts it. Because if we go farther back, the family tree of Jesus would make some people question if he was really the Messiah. Because not only was the family tree like a resume or a portfolio, it was curated as creatively as one would be in our culture. And if you go on Ancestry.com, there are thousands of details about your family tree that you might not know about. And all of us have things on our resume that we don't want our boss to see. Amen? That one job you stormed out of, the one job that you didn't show up to, the one job that you didn't get hired for, and we put our best foot forward when we're talking about our resume. And I'm not going to say any names, but I think all of us have a few family members that we want to leave out of the family tree too. Amen? Notice how quiet everyone got there? Don't say it too loud. They could be sitting next to you. But if we jump down to verse 5, we see a familiar name in the family tree. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So Rahab makes it into the family tree. And why is that peculiar, some might say? Well, first, and I don't mean to offend anybody and don't stone me, uh, she was a woman. And in biblical times, women were looked as the lesser. The man was supposed to be the head of the household, and the women were supposed to stay home, raise the children, and it was really degrading. It was a really degrading time in ancient times. But no one in the ancient world would have ever included a woman in a family tree. Women were treated differently, but Jesus came to change that. He came to change that paradigm. No more degrading women. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. No difference between the slave or free. So that's the first reason. And then the second as some of you might know, Rahab was not only a woman, she was a scandalous woman. She was a prostitute. So Rahab is introduced in Joshua as Rahab the harlot. 
And if you were the one recording the genealogy, you might skip over that name, Rahab. We also get the mention of Judah and Tamar, Perez and Zerah. And now, if you're unfamiliar with scripture, this is a scandal that's like a Hulu or Netflix show. Like, it has all the tea and all the details that you want to see. Judah was Tamar's father-in-law, and Judah was tricked into thinking that Tamar was a prostitute, and they hooked up together. Now, why would you put that in the family tree? Why, why can't you just talk about David? So let's get to David, the father of Solomon, who you have to be related to him to get to the throne, and whose mother had been Uriah's wife, and David had an affair with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. And so it's another Hulu, Netflix kind of thing where there's this love triangle in this family tree. And not only that, David has Uriah killed, not by sword, his own at least, but he gives orders to the army to push forward and send Uriah out by himself to die in battle, to cover up this pregnancy. And so you look at this tree, these twisted branches, and you see prostitution, scandal, murder, and at the top of the tree you see idolatry. And so we've mentioned two people groups who weren't even Jews. There's Ruth, who was a Moabite and a Canaanite, Rahab, living in Jericho, that are sworn enemies of the Jews. And so what Matthew is suggesting here, Jesus isn't actually even full-blooded. No Jew would ever run that up the flagpole and have that for all to see. And remember, humanity is lost. Because of a tree. We are lost because of a tree. And it's the tree that sat in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. i got to tell this story here. CNN once reported a woman in Australia that had this fake tree. And at Christmas morning, she comes downstairs admiring the tree, having a cup of coffee, keeping it quiet so the kids don't wake up. And so she draws close to the tree, examining an ornament Ornament after ornament until she saw something, and I watched it last night. Most of you might be thinking Chris's vacation and a squirrel pops out, but how about a snake? A tiger snake. One of the most dangerous, venomous snakes in Australia. And so does that remind you of anything? Genesis 3-4 says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And so Eve was deceived. Adam followed right along, and on the spot, they died. And you might be thinking, no, they didn't die. They lived many years after that. Yeah, they did. But they died spiritually. Adrian Rogers in his book, Kingdom Authority, says, Adam was very much like a Christmas tree cut off from its roots. Brought into the house and decorated. And in some ways, it may look better in the house than in the wild. But what happened when it was cut from the source of life will show sometime after New Year's. 
And the truth of the matter is that it was often called a living tree, but it was dead when it was cut off from the source of life. And so is the same with man. So we're separated by God from sin. We're separated uh, by sin from God. Let me get that right. And sin brings death in that definition, and it disconnects us from God. And so it's like a canyon. We're on one side and God is on the other, and there is this giant gap that we don't have anything to bridge that gap ourselves. We can't make anything, and if we did, it would fall short of that gap. The gap is just insurmountable. There's no way across it by human standards. And this great divide is what banished Adam and Eve from the garden, and as, as a result, they began to die. Not immediately, but just like a living tree in a living room, there is a longing within us, there is a groaning within us, when we're cut off from the source of life. And then we look for things that can make us live a little bit. I'll get my money, I'll get my nice car, I've got this nice paying job, I've got the girl of my dreams, but there's still this longing within us when the world is not enough. And the Bible tells us that we were created to know God, disconnected from him, and that there will always be something missing. And so here's the thing. We're dead spiritually and dying physically. And that's the truth. And we have different styles of clothing. We have hobbies. We have likes and dislikes. But all of us in this room, all of you watching online, the only thing that's the same for all of us is that the end leads to a grave. That's the only thing that's the same for all of us. And there's only one certain thing about life, this life on earth, is that one day it will come to an end. And if you're not careful, you might remain stuck and broken and disconnected from the source of life. And so that's why the moment after Eve ate the apple, God dealt out some consequences to the serpent. Genesis 3.14 says, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Can you imagine a snake with legs? And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Now the head wound, much more serious. And God promises the serpent, I will break you. And Christmas is when God made good on his promise by sending Jesus to earth. And I want to say this too. God's gift did not go under the tree. It went on the tree. And when God sent his son, born of a virgin, born into this world, under a law that some might call flawed, he did it at a perfect time. And God's present to you this Christmas is not a something, it is a someone. And that's the power of Christmas, that Jesus came to earth, grew up, lived a perfect life without sin, and he dies on a cross, paying the penalty for our sins, coming to seek and save the lost. And he didn't just die for you, he died as if it were you. 
And when he hung on the cross, Isaiah 53 tells us, he took himself on himself the sins of us all. And he suffered as if he personally had committed the sins that we made. And Peter quotes it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. So he didn't just die either. Some people have a misconception that Jesus played dead or that he had superpowers and he didn't really die. Uh, If you look at the science behind it, Jesus died a physical death. But God can do anything. And three days later, he ran out of the grave. And a few days later, he ascended into heaven. And this Christmas, he's knocking at your door of your heart. And if you let him in, he really can do anything. He can save you from whatever sins you're struggling with, whatever life circumstances you're struggling with. He can change you in just a moment of time. He says, I don't care what you've done. I've entered into your pain. I'm in your story. I've died for your sins so that you could be healed. So Christmas is for everybody. It's for shepherds. It's for the wise men. It's for single mothers. And if we look at the family tree on his dad's side, it's very short. John 1.1 says, In the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. And so God came down, and he wasn't just human. He was divine. And it's not like a superpower where he could turn it on and off. He was both at the same time. Taking the hand of sinful humanity, taking the hand of his father, and he was the only thing that could break the chains that we were bound to by sin. Jesus is not a way to get to heaven. He is the way to get to heaven. He is the truth. He is the life. Because only one person, Jesus, who was fully God, fully man, could do what he did. Now, most of you know, uh, no secret, because it happened this morning, I'm a guitar player. Uh, I love music. And uh, like I said last week, and I committed a sin by listening to Christmas music in October. And uh, just to get my heart and mind prepped for these messages, I was trying to get in this mindset. And as I was fumbling through Christmas songs, and I, met, I mentioned this last night, and I'll say it again. Um, anyone like the song White Christmas? A couple people. The rest of you that don't, you don't have to listen. But the ones that like the song, if you, if you go to Spotify, whatever you listen to, type in the Philly specials. The Philadelphia Eagles football team offensive line made a Christmas album, and their version of White Christmas is spectacular. Just want to put that out there. But I was, as I was fumbling through Christmas songs, I came across one, and it's not a traditional one. It's actually one that she wrote, uh, Lexington's own Ann Wilson. And the lyrics say this. The choir is singing carols, bells are ringing, and streets are bright. It's Christmas all around me, so why is Christmas hard to find? December snow is falling down like I am to my knees. And I could use some hope right now, because right now, hope is hard to see. Help me still believe. For God so loved this broken world that he sent his only son 
to a carpenter and to a teenage girl to show us all his love. He left his home in heaven to make heaven my home. And my Emmanuel is with me. I'll never be alone. Down here, my heart can't find much to believe in. But I still believe in Christmas. I don't know what you got planned today. I'm hosting family and friends at my house. We're going to have gifts and presents and games and food to eat. And I'm sure that a lot of you are going to do the same thing over the next couple days. And like we've talked about the past couple weeks, some of you dread this time of year. You, might not, you may not have anywhere to go this Christmas. And it's a hard time without that one loved one, without that one friend, and maybe you don't feel as joyful as you could. So whatever you're going through, whatever you've got planned over these next few days, whether Santa comes to visit your house or not, let's not lose sight of what the season really is about. It's not about a baby born in Bethlehem. It's about a God that stepped into our story. Because the first Christmas changed everything. Because Jesus changes everything. Amen? Amen. Christmas really is for everyone. It's not just a holiday we celebrate. But it's more like a rescue mission that we remember. Here in just a second, we're going to take communion together. If you're online... Uh, we encourage you to uh, take communion with us. You don't have to have grape juice. You don't have to have a little cracker like we do here in person. It could be a loaf of bread. It could be a Cheez-It. It could be Mountain Dew or a bottle of water. As long as you have something that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken for you, we get to take that together here today. So as these guys pass these trays, you'll notice there's two cups. The bottom has the cracker in it. The top has the juice, so feel free to take the cracker and to hold on to the cup. We'll take it together as a family. I'll challenge you this couple days. Um, go back and read Matthew chapter 1. Uh, the whole thing. Go back and read it. Because if you do, you'll see a bunch of names that, yes, they're hard to pronounce. There are some that you recognize, some that you have no clue who they are. But at the end of the genealogy, we see this line. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And so every line before, every name was building up to Jesus. Every generation was bracing for Jesus, longing for this hope that would come and make things right. And you go back and look at the stories of those before, countless stories that were big and small, lessons learned, teaching us about God's power, God's faithfulness. But when we get to Jesus, everything changes. 
because Jesus changes everything. And this little baby that was born in Bethlehem would grow up, and in the name of Jesus, demons would flee, sickness would disappear, rulers and kings would be brought to their knees, the lame will walk and the blind will see, and the dead would rise. And it was true then, and it's still true today, it is only by the name of Jesus that we're saved. Nothing more and nothing less. Because Jesus changes everything. Together. And all of God's people said, Amen. Live stream, we're going to let you go here in just a second. Uh, if you're here with us in person, we're going to pass these plates. Uh, feel free to give whatever you feel led to give today. Uh, you can drop your cups in the baskets there. We're also going to open up the doors to the dwelling. And the dwelling is kind of like a prayer room. And there will be someone back there to help and pray for you, whatever you're struggling with today, because the holidays can be a tough time for some people. And uh, we really do believe we're better together, and we believe that prayer works. It's our secret weapon to overcome everything that we're dealing with in life. So in just a second, we're going to come back and sing a song. And uh, feel free to uh, sing along with us. We've got a new song for you. And then we're going to sing another song at the end. And we'll invite you to stand on the very last song. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> 